So tonight, we're going to be continuing our series in the book of Philippians. And really, we know that Philippians, many people call it really the book of joy, as uh, that's a word that's repeated over and over again in this book. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to kind of breeze over the end of chapter two so we kind of know what's going on there. And then we'll go into our main text, which is in chapter three. So uh, here we go. I'm going to read Philippians chapter two, verses 19 through 30. And it says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. So just a reminder, Paul, he's writing this letter to the Philippians, right? And so he says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. Everyone say Epaphroditus. My brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you and is, in dis- and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety or be less concerned about you. So then, welcome him him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves cannot give me. And so this passage really uh, coattails well with last week talking about humility, not complaining about anything, because we see that, you know, Epaphroditus, he almost died. He had a lot of reasons to complain, but he had joy in the midst of that. And both Timothy and Epaphroditus were just amazing slaves for Christ, amazing servants for Christ. They served God joyfully. And so this is actually one of the reasons why Paul wrote this letter, because Epaphroditus was the pastor of this church in Philippi, and he was then sent to Rome to Paul's imprisonment. And he delivered a financial gift to Paul, but also he was there to provide for his needs, to provide encouragement. Obviously, things didn't go as planned as he got ill and almost died. And so Paul is just communicating like, hey, I'm sending Epaphroditus back to you. Um, He, uh, you know, served me well when he was here, but I'm sending him back. And he even, Paul even shares his hope to then go back to them. And that's just an amazing pastor's heart right there. And so there's that 
passage. And so we're going to be diving into our main text, which is Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. But before we dive in, I want to share my big idea with you to begin. My big idea, our big idea for this text is we have joy in believing that our righteousness does not come about by good works, but our righteousness comes about by faith in the good work of Jesus Christ. I'm going to read that again. We have joy in believing that our righteousness does not come about by good works, but our righteousness comes about by faith in the good work of Jesus Christ. Uh, let's, let's pray together. So God, we do thank you for this opportunity we have to look to your word. Uh, your word is truth. It sanctifies us. So God, use uh, your word to minister to hearts in this place. Uh, may it not be my words. My words fall short. Your words are eternal. So God, we praise you. We thank you. Bless this time we have together. In Jesus' name, everyone says... Amen. Awesome. So let's start off with verse one in chapter three. It says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. We see Paul, he writes, rejoice in the Lord. Now, believers should really be the most joyful people in the world. Our joy is not found in temporary things of this world that will fade, but our joy is found in the Lord, in the eternal, unchanging God, the creator of the universe. And that's just an amazing bedrock to build our lives upon, our faith upon, and that's amazing. So our lives should be directly impacted by our relationship with the Lord. Paul continues, it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. I don't know if you guys have seen like Karate Kid or any of those martial arts movies, but in movies like that, I think of Karate Kid because that's like my go-to, right? So here, the master is teaching his student. He's requiring his student to do really these menial tasks, but repetitively, right? Wax on, wax off, wax on, wax off, right? And he's just having to do it again and again and again. So why? Why in the world is the master requiring his student to do these menial repetitive tasks? Well, it's to build that muscle memory, right? It's to build muscle memory. Similarly, we need to exercise our brain muscles. We need to exercise that. We need to be reminded. I don't know about you, but I am so forgetful. I need to be reminded. And even in the time of the Israelites in the Old Testament, uh, we read that um, here just like how God parted the sea, the Red Sea, uh, for the Israelites to cross through uh, with Moses, here the Israelites were at the banks of the Jordan River, and God parted that river just like he did the Red Sea. The Israelites then took 12 stones, stacked them, gathered them, 
to make a memorial. And that memorial was to remind themselves of God's faithfulness. You know, we need memorials in our lives. We need to be reminded again and again of these truths that we find in scripture. We see that it is a safeguard for us. It is a safeguard for you, as Paul says. Now, a safeguard against what? Really, as the next passage says, it's against false teachers, against false teaching. So, little did you know that by reading God's word, that you were preparing yourselves, that you were actually participating in a self-defense class, right? Being equipped to guard yourself against false teaching. And so in the case of the Church of Philippi and actually many of the first century congregations, some false teaching had snuck through the front door. With that in mind, let's look at verse 2. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Whoa. So this is a warning from Paul. Who are these dogs? Who are these evildoers? Who are these mutilators of the flesh? Uh, These are Judaizers. These are false teachers. Who are Judaizers? Good question. I'm so glad you asked. False, these Judaizers are false Jewish, Jewish teachers who imposed the Jewish customs on Gentile Christians. Okay, so what was their message? What was the message of these Judaizers, these false teachers? It was Jesus plus works. It was that of legalism earning salvation by their good works, adhering to the Jewish customs, such as circumcision, trying to earn righteousness. And I think it's important to note here, uh, here in verse two, those evildoers. This isn't like Paul saying, oh, it's just not my cup of tea. No, it's him being like, no, this is wrong. This is evil. And so it's so important that we understand this, that if we add to the gospel. It's not the gospel. If we subtract from the gospel, it's not the gospel. We have to maintain the integrity of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so there's actually really a contrast here uh, provided here in verse three. We have the false circumcision, which Paul just calls the mutilation of the flesh. And in verse three, it talks about uh, the true circumcision. So let's read that. For it is we believers who are the circumcision. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Now, true circumcision is not an external procedure not an pers- uh, external work performed by man. The true circumcision is an internal work performed by God. And there's three characteristics of believers. And it's kind of cool how just God's scriptures, uh, how it works. Because it's in the sequence of we are. We are the circumcision, so we do. 
we are, so we do. And these three characteristics are listed. One, serve God by his spirit. Believers, that's what they do. That's who we are. Um, Number two, we boast in Christ Jesus. Why do we boast in Christ Jesus? It's only in Christ that we are made righteous. So our boast is in him. Number three, we put no confidence in the flesh. And so Paul, he's actually going to say, he's going to explain more about this confidence in the flesh and how he actually used to put his confidence in the flesh. So verse four, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. So yeah, we see here that Paul used to put confidence in the flesh. That he at one point thought he could earn righteousness. That his good works could achieve him salvation. And if anyone had a reason to place confidence in the flesh, it was Paul. It was Paul. He gives us seven areas, seven reasons he had confidence in the flesh. And those seven reasons are found in verses five and six. Here we go. Reason number one, circumcised on the eighth day. Two, of the people of Israel. Three, of the tribe of Benjamin. Four, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Number five, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. Number six, as for zeal, persecuting the church. And number seven, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. And so these are the seven areas that, and seven reasons Paul placed confidence in the flesh and his own abilities to earn righteousness. And really, kind of in comparison to the Judaizers, Paul, he's saying, you know what, Judaizers, I played your game and I I played it better than you do, than you could ever try. Because a Judaizer would look at this list and they'd be like, oh my goodness, they check all the boxes, right? They're looking at a checklist to fulfill the law of God. But we know we, we can't fulfill God's law. His law is perfect and we fall short every single time. As Paul will point out, this is not how we are made righteous. So remember, this is why he used to have confidence in the flesh. This is past tense. So we, like Paul, are susceptible to putting confidence in the flesh and believing our good works can save us. Uh, For instance, if you are born into a Christian family, does that make you a Christian? Does that make you righteous? No. If you attend church twice a week, Does that make you a Christian? Does that make you righteous? No. Uh, What about, oh, what if you become a pastor or a missionary? Does that make you a Christian? Does that make you righteous? No. What if you obey the Ten Commandments? Does that make you a Christian? Does that make you righteous? No, 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 no. 
right? You cannot earn it. You cannot work for righteousness by following the law. It's only received by faith alone in Christ alone. It's by grace. It's a gift. It cannot be earned. So let's mentally back up. Why is righteousness so important? Why is righteousness so important? You see, God only accepts righteous people into heaven, into his kingdom. That leaves us with a dilemma. The Bible says no one is righteous. No one is good. No, not one. Romans 3.10. And last time I checked, we're all in the same boat. The same stinking, sinking boat, right? We're all sinners, right? We've all been plagued with sin. We're not perfect. So, We have the dilemma, what was God's solution? What was his solution? What was God's plan of redemption? Jesus Christ, God the Son. And I'm going to be talking in financial terms here, okay? Hopefully you can understand this, okay? So Jesus built up a perfect account of righteousness in his life on earth, living the life we needed to live, but couldn't. Christ, he never sinned. Jesus, being the perfect sacrifice, died on the cross, paying the penalty for sin, paying our sin debt that we owe God. And the thing is, this sin debt was so Massive that an infinite number of lifetimes could not pay it off. There occurs a miraculous transaction authorized by God through faith. Our sin is charged to Christ's account. And Christ's righteousness is transferred to our own account. This is called the great exchange. When Christ was on the cross, he cried, it is finished. That means paid in full. 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's grace. That's beautiful. And this is why we boast in Christ. Because it's not our work that we accomplished. It's all Jesus. It's all his work that he accomplished on the cross for us. And, you know, I, uh, I relate to Paul because I at once put confidence in the flesh. I was that good Christian kid. I knew all the answers in Sunday school. I was potentially even the most annoying one because I knew all the answers, right? So here I am. I was giving off this persona of good Christian kid, checking off all the boxes. And I was 
You know, on the outside, it looked like I was fine, but I was doing it with wrong internal motivations. I was doing it trying to please God, trying to earn righteousness. But the thing is, our righteousness, our attempts to earn righteousness, God considers filthy rags, as Isaiah puts it. It's filthy rags. We must be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so I had to come to a point in my life where I recognize, yes, I'm a sinner and repent of that. But I also needed to repent of my attempts to earn righteousness. I needed to put all of those aside and say, Jesus, you earned righteousness for me on the cross. And I think it's so crazy because we look at this and it's like, why do we put confidence in the flesh? Why did I put confidence in the flesh? And I think it all boils down to pride and just the idea of I'm going to earn salvation. Like I got this, I'm going to do this. And it becomes all about self and pride, but God's word, James 4, 6 says, God is opposed to the proud. He's opposed to it, right? The people who are like, I got this. I'm all this. You know, they just lift themselves up, trying to save themselves. God is opposed to that. But God gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. So that's what we need. We need to humble ourselves before the throne of grace and allow him to do his work in our lives. And I mean, it's easy to get caught up in trying to earn righteousness. That's why we need to be reminded again, again, again. All other religions are works-based, right? Have you ever thought about that, about religions of the world, how it's always man trying to reach God? If you're familiar with the Tower of Babel, that's essentially what it was, right? They were building a tower to reach God. And Christianity just is so different. There's many reasons why it's different, but one is that it's grace-based, that it is God coming to man. And that is an amazing truth that we can hold on to. And uh, it's so amazing. I was just even thinking about this uh, on the car ride over, just how I can have assurance of my salvation because it's not anything I did to earn it. Christ earned it for me. And that's something that you can live with that assurance. Uh, read First John if you, if you want to just, if you're questioning that, if you're like, am I really saved? Am I? Read First John. Okay. Uh, but verses one through six, we see Paul's emphasis on righteousness by works and just how faulty that is. Verses seven through 11, Paul talks about righteousness by faith. So let's read verses 7 and 8. Verse 7, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, 
I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. What does Paul consider as loss? What does Paul consider as loss? There's two things I see. One, it's those reasons he put confidence in the flesh. Those seven things that we listed before. He counts that as loss. And the second thing, the second thing Paul considers as loss is everything. Not just some things, but all things. Why? Why does Paul consider everything as loss? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. Surpassing worth. It surpasses all else because God surpasses all else. And what's so amazing is that we're really invited into knowing Christ as an eternal experience. John 17, three says, now this is eternal life. This is Jesus speaking. So I just want us to be clear on that. Um, now this is eternal life, that they know you. So Jesus is praying to the father that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And that's amazing that we can experience the joy of eternal life now, that we don't have to wait till heaven, right? That's amazing. Guys, God is indeed knowable. There's this belief that is circulating that's becoming more and more popular in our society today. It's called agnosticism. Agnosticism is a belief in a higher power, in an existence of God, but he's unknowable. You can't be too sure who he is. We see this statement from Paul in Philippians refutes that. God is not only knowable, but knowing him is our greatest pursuit. You see, our God is not a cosmic being who is distant, who is like a clockmaker who wound the clock and just let things go from a distance. No, he has revealed himself to us through his written word that we might know him. God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus Christ to earth. Matthew records um, that Jesus, one of his names, is Emmanuel. God with us. John 1 talks about Jesus being the incarnate word. That's amazing. All so that we might know him. Christ has infinite worth, infinite worth, infinite value. We can't even comprehend it. Just even thinking about this word glory, glory means weight. So if you were to have a scale, if you were to have a scale and you were to put 
the entire universe and everything in, in it on one side and Jesus Christ on the other. Literally, the scale would be so tilted that the weight would go through forever, infinitely weighed down by the weight of Jesus Christ, by his glory, because he has infinite value. Like our minds can't even comprehend it. That's how amazing this is. And we know that the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, that it's not about like the knowledge, it's about the object of our knowledge, which is Christ. And really, some, some Bibles, they put headings in your Bible, some translations, and some of them put like the purpose of your life or the goal of your life in this section. And I want to talk about that. What is the purpose of your life. Maybe you've come into this place wondering that, asking that. Um, and let me tell you, the purpose of your life is to know God, love him, enjoy him, and glorify him. And it, it's pretty fun because uh, I've got a little nephew and he's adorable. He's a little over one. And so we, we play these songs, these these. Uh, essentially catechisms. Catechisms are a way to teach uh, children or really anybody with a question and answer. And I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to sing the song. This song, this is a song. So, shoot, I'm getting nervous. Okay, here we go. It goes, what is the purpose of my life? My purpose is to know God, love him, enjoy him, and glorify him. I even have motions. But, but in all honesty, that is your purpose. Your purpose is to know God. Remember, this is surpassing worth. Nothing can compare to this pursuit. Now the world, what does the world say is your purpose? It says your purpose is happiness, to pursue happiness, right? Guess what? You will come to the end of yourself if you pursue happiness. Just like King Solomon, he records in the book of Ecclesiastes, all of these pursuits, he pursued money, wealth. He even pursued like architecture, amazing gardens. He pursued women. He pursued wisdom. He pursued all these things, trying to find his purpose. All left him empty. And he comes to the conclusion that only God can satisfy him. You know, I don't want you guys to spend an entire lifetime trying to figure out what your purpose is. Know that your purpose is to know God, to love him, enjoy him, and glorify him. He is the one who fulfills your heart's desire to worship because we were made to worship. It's in our uh, code, you could say, our, our depths to worship. Many times people worship themselves um, but like I said, you come to the end of yourself. You hit rock bottom. 
turn to Christ. Now, this knowledge that we're talking about, this is not an intellectual knowledge. This is an experiential knowledge. I think that's an important uh, distinction to make because James 2.19, it says this, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Whoa. Even the demons believe in God. But they haven't submitted his life to him, right? Have you submitted your life to him? Does God know you? Does God know you? Um, I'm going to share a scary verse with you guys tonight. I think you guys can handle it, but this, this keeps people up at night. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me, so this is Jesus talking. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evil doers. You know, if God were to ask you, why should I let you into my kingdom? What would you say? What was the reasoning of these people in this passage right here? We see it was works-based. Did we not do this? Did we not prophesy? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not perform many miracles? And Jesus said, I never knew you. What would you say if asked that question? Why should I let you into my kingdom? Thinking about that question myself, at the throne of God, I would throw myself down at the feet of Jesus and say, I am undeserving, I am unworthy. But it's through your mercy, through Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty for my sin, earning my righteousness, a righteousness I cannot earn on my own. And it's by your grace I'm saved. We see it's not in our works, but it's in Christ's work on the cross. And that's amazing. Going back to our verse... Going back to our verse, our main verse, we see that Paul says, For whose sake I have lost all things. For Christ's sake, he's lost all things. We got to remember, guys, Paul's in prison while he's writing this, right? He's lost all things. So he's not just like saying this, like, oh, this might happen. He's like living it out. And he says, I consider them garbage. I consider them rubbish that I 
may gain Christ. Uh, Jim Elliott, he was a missionary. He went to Ecuador. He ended up becoming a martyr. He was killed by those people. He said this, he is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You know, something I say quite a bit is there's only one thing you can, I guess there's only two things you can take to heaven with you, but they both revolve around relationship. One is your relationship with God. And the second is your relationship with believers. Those are the only things you can take to heaven with you. Everything else, rubbish. It's rubbish. I think it's so hard to get caught. It's so easy to get caught up in the things of this world um, and, and whatnot. We must keep our eyes on the prize, on our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 9. Let me backtrack, uh, just so it, I have got a complete sentence here. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. We see righteousness is not by the law and works. It's not of our own doing. Righteousness is through faith in Christ. And I love this phrase, found in him. I don't want to explain it through the historical account of Noah, okay? So, there was only one safe place on the earth during God's righteous judgment when he flooded the whole earth during the time of Noah. There was only one safe place. Where was that? Anybody know? Someone said it. In the ark. Everyone say, in the ark. In the ark. Similarly, the only safe place from hell, from God's righteous judgment, is in Christ. We must be found in Christ. Everyone say, in Christ. And this is just an amazing truth. Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are, what? In Christ. Let's, let's say that again. Let's say that. We can redo that. Okay. For those of you who are in Amen. Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son and the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We see God's righteous demands are met in Christ. So we must be in Christ. This righteousness, it comes from God on the basis of faith. Uh, faith is the means by which we please God. 
If you read Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about that. That's so important that we understand that. Going back to verse 10, let's read verses 10 and 11 of Philippians chapter 3. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Kind of a cross reference to this is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And experiencing death with Christ, dying to self, dying to the flesh, we experience resurrection with Christ. Now, we also experience sufferings with Christ. Uh, We see Christians were actually promised persecution. I don't know if you knew that. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, even if you desire to live a godly life, expect to be persecuted. Uh, That's all with counting the cost of, of serving Christ, of loving him. But we see that, um, that even in the midst of the death we see all around us, that there is resurrection life found in Christ. He is the resurrection. He is the life. And guess what? There's a life after death. That's proven because Jesus Christ rose again. And so there's hope that is a living hope. Hope is in scripture is much different than what we consider hope today. If I say, you know what? I hope you have a great day. That does not guarantee you a good day. But hope in Christ is a guarantee. It's a sure thing. We have a living hope that's found in Christ. And I love Galatians uh, chapter chapter 2, verse 21, because it really talks to what we've been talking about today. It says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If righteousness could be earned, Christ's death was for nothing. Well, we see Christ did not die for nothing. No, that he was the righteous fulfillment of the law, that by his wounds, we are healed. And that's just a beautiful thing. Let's look at our big idea one final time. So we have joy in believing that our righteousness does not come about by good works, but our righteousness comes about by faith in the good work of Jesus Christ. Guys, we have joy in believing that our righteousness does not come about by good works, but our righteousness comes about by faith in the good work of Jesus Christ. That is an amazing truth. Like I said, it distinguishes Christianity from all other religions. And that is a reason to boast in Christ Jesus, to praise him, to glorify him, 
and it should lead us to the pursuit of our purpose, which is knowing Christ, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray, and then we will go to our huddles. So, Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. It is truth, Lord, and just this reminder, God, we need to be reminded. We are so forgetful, God. We so many times try to make it about ourselves, trying to earn our righteousness, but it's not about us. It's about you. You earned righteousness for us through Jesus Christ on the cross, and we are eternally grateful, God. So I pray for hearts here in this place that they would respond to you. Maybe there's a soul in this place that has not uh, repented and put their trust in you. God, may they do that today. Today is the day of salvation. So God, continue to work in this place on hearts. May we um, just glory in who you are. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, everyone says amen. So right now, we're going to dismiss to our huddles. Guys are in the back. Girls are in the front. Middle school to my right. High school to my left. Thank you guys so much. Let's get the most out of this discussion time. Blessings.